Awesome. We've been talking recently, and uh, one of the weird changes of COVID is you kind of stop passing the offering buckets, and then you're like, oh, this is kind of nice to not have that part. But then what you lose, some of you church people know that's, that was always kind of that middle of the service part where it's just a little quieter, a little more chill, and it's easy to fall into that, okay, this now let's do this, now it's time for this, now Justin, you get up there, and so you just kind of get in that frantic mode like the rest of the world. And uh, so I uh, wanted to just, every once in a while, just take a couple minutes and take a breath, right? Everything's good. So um, I do want to mention before I get started, uh, we, our AC is working now, but now the lights are flickering. Um, I, I believe it's unrelated. We've got it kind of diagnosed, but we've got to have something, right? Uh, there's got to be something going on. So we'll just worry about that this week instead of uh, keeping everybody cool. So if the lights, uh, if like that one turns red all of a sudden, I know, all right? Just, I, I know. Um, when that stuff happens, uh, typically I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking. Uh, lots of things that we won't say out loud uh, when stuff like that happens. But, um, so talking about generations today. So I'd love for you to think about for a second, uh, what is a tradition in your family that either easily or urgently gets passed from generation to generation? Right? Something, whether it just happens naturally or it's so important that you just go out of your way, this has to be something. It's been important for them. It's important for us. It's going to be important for them. It just gets passed down generation to generation. Or what's something about your family that if it were removed, it would make your family almost unrecognizable? It's that big of a deal. It's that prominent. Okay, so think about that. I'm coming for volunteers in a second. I want to hear from you guys what some of these are. I'm going to share mine, and then I'll come back to you. Um, so for the Powells, I'm going to generously, graciously call it obnoxious wit. Um, others might uh, call it something more uh, harsh, but I'm going, to, I'm going to give us a, a break and call it obnoxious wit. So throughout our family, lots of sarcasm, uh, ridiculous observations about life and the world and people and church and politics and whatever else. Um, and, and honestly, Super nice, loving family. We all get along. Great family to be a part of. But to an outsider, I think that a family reunion in the Powell family would look something like just pure carnage, right? So, so when we're all together, it probably peaked 10 to 12 years ago when, when my grandma was still alive and my dad and his three brothers were all kind of still very much uh, large and in charge and their families and all of us were growing up and young enough to still be around and a part of everything, but old enough that we could give it and old enough that we could take it, right? And so it just, it kind of peaked there. So you'd have my dad and his brothers, their spouses who were all tough as nails in their own right, all of their kids, all of us around, cousins and things, the occasional girlfriend or boyfriend or outsider in the mix. And we knew that they were either tough as nails or temporary. And so uh, you just kind of have to be a certain way to fit. And so if you interact with my wife, Kathy, and you come away thinking, Man, she's pretty hardcore. Yeah, it's survival, right? It's just kind of the way it works in the Powell family. So at our peak, you're talking 24, 25-ish people, depending on who's there or not there, all of them pretty smart, all of them witty, all of them sarcastic, all of them obnoxious, and all of them fighting for the same airspace. Horrifying to some. But if you took that away from the Powell family, we'd be unrecognizable, right? So that's, that's kind of one of our things. That's just the personalities that get passed down and we have fun and we feed off each other and that's just how it goes. So I'm curious for you guys, I gave you a couple minutes to think about it. Are, are there any of you, now I'm looking for the short version, okay? We're not, not looking for, all right, we're looking for the short version. Any traditions of yours where, man, it's been, it's, we, we make sure that this gets passed down or, man, this just kind of happens naturally or, or anything where 
this is so our family. Man, if this was taken away, you, you wouldn't even know us. Any, anybody willing to share this morning? Come on, I had like 10 in the first service. Bill, short version, Bill. Here we go. Love of cars. Love of cars. Okay, absolutely. Yep. Bill's in a different car every time I see him, I swear. It's awesome. Who, yeah. Baby pierogies? Oh, making pierogi. That makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> you can make, okay, making pierogies. I like that one. That's a good one. Food related. What else? Quoting movies. That's a good one. Yeah. Yep. Is there a generation of movies that always kind of comes back around? Oh, okay. All right. Mid late 90s. Yep. I like it. Those are some really good movies to quote there. What do you got, John? No, I know every line in Home Alone. Every line in Home Alone. Okay, that's a good one too. Same generation of movies there. Absolutely. What else? Any family traditions? Something. If you took this away from our family, what do you got, Brenda? Hunting. Absolutely. Oh, blessings upon you <laughs> and your family tree. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. All right, that, so that's, that's a good variety because you got some there where, all right, this is something we're good because making pierogies doesn't happen by accident, right? You got to sit somebody down, here's what we're making, here's how you make it. You're, my grandma did this, my mom did this, I do this, you're going to do this. We make pierogies in this family, right? So that's intentional. Hunting is kind of just one of those natural ones, right? Like you see family members doing it, you're along for the ride, maybe you sit out and you, it kind of just naturally becomes... A thing, and so kind of a good variety there. I like it. So, but it's this idea of generation to generation, right? And we've all lived it. We've all experienced it. You, if we were in more of an environment where you felt safe, just shouting out in the middle of nowhere, right? We, everyone would have their stories. And on one hand, we've all seen the joy of it, the the fun traditions, the celebrations, maybe the DNA traits, like oh, he got grandpa's nose again, right? Those those things that get passed down, the shared joys, that those are wonderful things. But I think we've also seen the potential for destruction in generation to generation, right? Those bad habits, maybe hurtful, maybe even hateful uh, ideas and opinions, even physical health traits, right? The, the heart thing that gets passed down generation to generation, all, all of these different things. And that's why when we talk about generation to generation, that has to be taken seriously and it has to be experienced with a certain level of intentionality because as you guys know, generation to generation, although it includes some of these things, it's bigger than sarcasm. It's bigger than blue eyes. It's bigger than vacation spots. It's bigger, it's bigger than high cholesterol. And so generation to generation is a theme I want to revisit this morning. Um, we're going to look at it out of Psalm chapter 145. Psalm 145, it's one of the Psalms of David. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 3. And just so you know, this one will kind of set the tone for the others. Uh, we're going to kind of build off of this one and then get to the theme that I want to hit on today. So Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. His greatness no one can can fathom. I don't know if you guys are like me. There are times where I get stuck in what we call the YouTube rabbit hole. That is where you start watching something. So for example, I'll grab my kids. Some uh, long retired basketball player will come up in conversation and Talon will go, who's that? I'll go, who's that? Oh, let's go YouTube. And we'll pull up a video. All right, here's, 
Here's what Michael Jordan looked like. Here's Spud Webb, you know, this short guy who can dongle. Watch a video. And then three hours later, we're hearing about aliens living under the ice of Antarctica, right? So somehow you make that journey because suggested videos, and you watch that one, and that one has a different group of suggested videos. You just follow the rabbit trails, and you end up deep in the YouTube rabbit hole. So that happened to me a couple of weeks ago, um, really kind of related to, like, the universe and what they can see and not see, and all these different things. I ended up on a video with um, a guy named Neil deGrasse Tyson. You've probably heard his name a time or two. Brilliant individual, right? Comes from the secular perspective, but brilliant nonetheless. And he was talking about the universe, what can be observed and what cannot be observed, its size, its contents, all of these different things, many of which I was having a hard time understanding. But he's talking about what we were learning about the universe through the Hubble telescope and some of these other new ones and, and the rover on Mars and all these different things that we're learning. And, and basically he said this, and this is a paraphrase because the direct quote had too many words I couldn't understand. So we just kind of boiled this down to a paraphrase, basically saying that the more questions that we answer, the more questions we have, because now we have countless questions about the answers we have. And he said, the more we know, the more that's revealed we don't know and may never know. And so take this unknowable, unsearchable uh, scope and existence of the universe and realizing that God is the creator of all of that. So how big must he be? How vast must he be? How immense and unsearchable must he be? And Paul actually talks about it in the book of Romans, kind of almost, a, almost like a psalm within this thick doctrinal letter that he wrote. Psalm 11, verse 33 And Paul says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. Basically, getting to the idea of good luck as you search God's heart, good luck as you search his mind, and yet, search him anyways. Your walk with him should leave you fully in awe of him. And the more you know of him, the more you should become aware of just how little you know of him. And as you search him, as you walk with him, if you come away with any other attitude but that, I'm telling you, you're doing it wrong. And so this idea of a huge, unsearchable, unknowable God, this massive impact creator God isn't the landing point today, but that's what we want to build on. So keep that kind of filed away in your brain as we move on to the next few verses here in Psalm 145. So great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I'll meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And then back to verse 4, which is the one I want to hit on this morning. One generation commends your works to another. So in some ways, he says it as as if it's assumed, right? Well, of course, one generation will pass on the works of God to another. And yet, 
All we have to do is look around us in our experiences, our lifetime, our family trees, or, or we can rewind from Psalm to the book of Judges and see that it doesn't happen there. And we can look at David's life, the writer of this Psalm, and see that in his family tree, it didn't necessarily happen there. And so it's not a given that one generation will commend God to another. But first, what's, what's being shared? What, what's, what's being passed from one generation to another? Well, we see the word commends there. And, and here in this spot, the definition has a couple, two, three different directions you can go with it. One of them would simply be one generation praises God to another. Another one would be boasting of triumph. One generation boasts of God's triumphs to another. Basically sharing truths about God, sharing truths about our experiences with God. But there's one part of the definition that I think really fits with what we're talking about today. It's, it's that this is not only boasting of triumph, not only praising God from one generation to another, but that je- those generations are being addressed in a loud tone. Now here, loud doesn't mean angry. Loud doesn't mean obnoxious. Loud means a sense of urgency. Like, I can't wait to tell you. I'm excited for you to know what I know. I'm excited for you to experience what I've experienced. Like, like sharing, uh, for some of us, sharing uh, a newfound restaurant, right? You have those friends or family members that kind of share that foodie thing. And, oh, you got to try this place in Ann Arbor. Oh, we were in Chicago. You got to try this place or, or a vacation spot. And sometimes this happens with a church you're checking out, right? You, you find yourself in a group of friends kind of looking for a new home. We check that you got to try this one, right? There's, there's a different tone of voice. This has happened recently for some of you. You all think you're the only one doing it, but it's been like four or five of you over the last six months, and it has to do with minivans, right? Now, I avoided the minivan thing. We stopped at two kids simply to avoid needing a minivan, and so that's how I feel about minivans, but I've been approached, hey, keep her out looking for a Toyota Sienna, Toyota Sienna or Honda Odyssey. Those are the two right now. It's hot, and I don't know what it is about them, but people look at me with this, this amazing look in their eyes like, Toyota Sienna. Honda Odyssey, right? And word spreads. We had, oh yeah, we had an Odyssey. It was great. You got to get an Odyssey. Oh yeah, Toyota Sienna. And the tone of voice changes when you go from Chrysler minivan or this other minivan, Toyota Sienna, Honda Odyssey, right? The tone of voice changes. There's an excitement for you to know what I know, for you to experience what I've experienced. I have a friend, Tim, who travels a lot for work. He's uh, in the world of kind of high-level investing, has some very wealthy clients. And so in his world, it's high finance, right? When you hit a certain tax bracket, it stops being finance and it becomes finance. And so if you walk up to me and say the word finance, I will know that you're doing okay. All right. So it just kind of happens naturally. Your budget goes up and I work in high finance. All right. So that's just a little context for him. So as a part of that world, you don't take those clients to Burger King. You take them to high-level restaurants. And so he is always around the country in different cities having these meals. And so he's the one I go to if I'm looking for a good steakhouse anywhere in the country. And, and when it comes to Tim, his tone of voice is everything. He's a pretty normal dude, talks like us, talks like me, all this other stuff. But, but I can read his tone of voice no matter what he says. So in the past, when we were first, hey, Tim, we're going to check out this. We've got a nice gift card. We're going to go to Ruth's Chris. What do you think about Ruth's Chris? Absolutely. Solid. Can't go wrong. Could be a good steak. They'll take care of you. Absolutely do it. Hey, Tim, we're going to be down in Detroit. We heard about this place called Prime and Proper. You think we should check it out? And it went from absolutely solid with Prime and Proper. It was, dude, absolutely. Yeah, you should totally, yeah, absolutely go there. And so I was like, all right. 
He thinks that he didn't have to say it. He, he has it above Ruth's Chris. So that's where we're at. Right? We've been a couple places where we said, hey, uh, tell me about places you've been. What, what should we try? And the tone changes, and he speaks in a whisper. He's like, oh, Justin, you got to get their tomahawk. Right? Like, and so it's like, oh, okay, he's being serious. Because now we've gone from dude, absolutely, to dude, to dude. Right? And so the, the tone of voice changes. We, and then we were up north a few weeks ago. A couple months ago in early June, and we were in the Cadillac area. Cadillac's not a steak hot spot. And so we were like, oh, I mean, Traverse City's an hour, hour and a half. Maybe we go up there. So I texted Tim, like, hey, any steakhouses you want to talk about in Traverse City? And he simply responded with, nope. So I was like, no follow-up questions. I knew what he meant. We're just going to find something local, right? And so that's, it. but the, the way that you share the information impacts, number one, that person's desire to believe you. And it impacts, number two, that person's desire to experience it for themselves. That urgency, that excitement, that emotion, addressing in a loud tone, it takes information and gives it the potential for transformation. Right? We're going to talk about that a little bit later into September. We're going to talk about our Fieldstone values, and one of them is the way we communicate, right? And so that's going to play into that. But but the way we share it, the way we commend God from generation to generation, it matters. There's urgency for them to know what we know, for them to experience what we've experienced. So what is it that David thought that we should be boasting about? What, what, what does he see us sharing from generation to generation? Well, I think we see that in those verses that we read. So in verses 4 and 6, I think David is saying we're going to boast about God's mighty acts, the power of his awesome works, his great deeds. We're going to talk about how he's provided, how he's come through for us, how he's proven faithful over the years in our lives. We're going to talk about what he's created and how he's saved you and the path that he's cleared for you in your life. We're going to talk about what you have, your blessings that you're experiencing, and how God has walked you even through difficult seasons. We're going to share verses like James 1.17 that says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Basically, we're boasting about God's mighty acts because if you have it, it's because he provided it. If you've experienced it, it's because he arranged it. If you've achieved it, it's because he made it possible. And if it exists, it's because he created it. And so we're making sure that the people in your life know where the credit goes for every good thing in your life. David thinks we should be boasting about God's mighty acts from generation to generation. Beyond that, in verse 5, I think we see that we're to be boasting about the glorious splendor of his majesty. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little too poetic for me. But basically, we're passing on a proper view of God, his greatness, his royalty, his incomprehensible size, his strength, his beauty, his holiness, all of his attributes. First Chronicles 29, we see what was basically a psalm of David kind of hidden there in that particular book. And in First Chronicles 29, 11, David says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. So what you're doing here is you're simply sharing the gift of perspective. 
And in many ways, it's hard to describe as, man, this, this God, wow, I, I can't even begin, right? We're passing on that perspective of who this God is that we're following and serving. We're commending this God from one generation to another. So we're boasting about his mighty acts. We're boasting about the glorious splendor of his majesty. Another one I think we see in verse 5 is that we should be sharing what we're meditating on. Share what you've been meditating on. There's things that God has been bringing to your mind, to your heart, whether through time in the Word, quiet moments of prayer, discussions with other fellow believers. Maybe there's things that you're pondering, similar to what David mentions. If you were to read the rest of Psalm 145, things like meditating on how God is gracious and compassionate. That has been on some of you's hearts lately. Maybe praying and pondering the fact that God is trustworthy and faithful. Maybe that he is righteous and holy and perfect and worthy. Maybe pondering the fact that he is near to those who call him and that he answers prayer. What is it that you've been pondering? What have you been hearing from the Lord? What have, what have you been questioning him? What have you been learning? What have you been wrestling with? Whatever it is, share it. Share it. Now, some of this requires a little bit of thought, right? Because some of you have very young children or diverse age of children in your family. And it's hard to, you know, in the midst of a chaotic dinner on a Tuesday night, go, hey, you know, I was praying the other day and the thoughts of God just crept into my mind. Like, that can be an awkward transition. I get it, right? It's, it's tough to do that. And yet, share what you've been meditating on. The things that God is doing in you commend God from generation to generation. Have a sense of urgency about letting them hear what you're hearing. Let them see what you're seeing. Let them ponder what you're pondering and learn from those opportunities. Share what you've been meditating on. And then finally, I think we see in verse 7 that we need to let them see us worship and express gratitude. Let them see you worship and express gratitude. Psalm 100. David says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people. We're the, we're the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Do the most important people in your life see you worship? Now, this is a tough one too, right? Because, uh, and I love Brian and Miriam up here so often, they, they model uh, some of this for those of us, myself included, who aren't quite ready to be seen worshiping in the way that they are, right? We don't always, you don't have to wiggle around like Brian wiggles around sometimes, and you don't have to be moved to the emotions like Miriam is sometimes, but maybe you should. Maybe you should wiggle a little bit more. Maybe your emotions should be stirred a little bit more. I know that your worship should reflect your heart more than the sappy Hallmark card you pick out for somebody's birthday. It should stir you more than a good book. Your worship should elicit more passion than the political podcast you like to listen to, right? Let them see you worship. Let them see you express gratitude as part of commending God from generation to generation. Now, there's an important aspect of commending God's works from one generation to another. It's very important. It's this, it's this that no one 
is left out of this challenge. No one is left out of this, right? If you're around Fieldstone, right, we talk a lot about family trees, and, and one of our values that we'll talk about in September is being family-focused, and you hear that at first glance, and you, and you look at it from the outside, and you think, well, I'm not part of a family, or I'm, 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 uh, my kids are gone, right? I'm, I'm an empty nester, or I'm, I've been single my whole life, or, I, or we, we're married, but we don't have kids, and so are we left out of this whole equation? And the answer is no, because number one, passing things down means more than just having children or grandchildren. I would say, what about nieces and nephews? What about younger siblings? We've got teenagers here in the room. What about younger siblings that you have that you have influence over? What about young people that you have the privilege to teach or coach or tutor or train or care for or lead in the context of a workplace? Now, I don't want you to get crazy with this, right? You'll, the good chance you'll get fired if you transition from Pythagoras to Paul, right? That's a, that's a difficult transition to make as a believer in a secular workplace, right? You, that can't be tough. I'm not asking you to disrespect your boss by giving away unsolicited Bibles to clients, right? I'm not asking you to get crazy with this, but you might have to get creative, right? Because the natural context of this challenge is, okay, I'm going to make sure my kids see me worship. I'm going to make sure my kids hear me talking about what God's doing in my life. I'm going to make sure that my grandchildren hear and understand the gospel and know how great and mighty God is and what he's done in my life. I'm going to boast about God's triumph to those. That's the easy one, right? But it's more than just that. It's anyone and the generations coming after us that we can leave a mark on with the gospel or the truth of scripture. I'd, be honest, I'd, I'd say, what about Fieldstone kids? What about our midweek student groups? You've probably heard statistics like most people who follow Jesus choose to do so by the age of 12. A vast, vast majority of pastors, I think it's like 80%, grew up in a church's kids' ministry. If you want to grow the kingdom, that's where it's at. Whether that's your grandchildren or your children, or the young people that have been placed in your life of various ages that you have influence over. No one is left out of this, whatever your family context. As a part of that, one generation to another also includes passing it up. Some of my favorite stories, some of my favorite even moments from our five or six years here of Fieldstone is seeing God work in someone's life and then having that impact their parents, impact their grandparents, where they look at that individual and go, oh my gosh, if that person is plugged in, if that person is being changed, if they're on fire, I need to take a look at what they're involved in. And then it gets spread upward to the generations previous. It doesn't always get passed down. And so what about the generations ahead of you? Certainly, they need to hear you boasting about God. Certainly, they need to hear you sharing what it is that's impacting you, that you're learning, that you're pondering, that you're experiencing, even if they already know Jesus. Do you know, if, if you've got parents in the room right now, if you've got grandparents, right? So those of you who are younger, do you know what it would mean to your parents or grandparents if you shared with them something you were pondering about God? Do you know what it would mean to them if you simply gave God credit for something amazing in your life? It would impact them. It would challenge them. 
And so commending God from one generation to another doesn't just mean that it's being passed down from older generations to younger generations. It goes the other way as well. Generation to generation. Talking about a God that's unfathomable. A God that is unsearchable yet worth searching anyways. Talking about a sense of urgency and intentionality and making sure that God is being commended from generation to generation. So what do they hear when they hear you? What do they see when they see you? Do they hear about God's mighty acts? Do they hear about the glorious splendor of his majesty? Do they know what he's been teaching you lately? And do they see you worship? Do they see you giving thanks for all that he's done in your life? And as a part of all of that, is that tradition a staple of your family, a staple of your family tree, a staple of your area of influence? Generation to generation. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, just for how many times you talk about this kind of stuff in Scripture. God, it's clearly on your heart, clearly something that should be on our heart. And so, God, whether you've placed us in a large family or a small family, whether we're part of something big or it's just us individuals, God, put people in our lives that need to hear about you. They need to hear what you're doing. They need to hear what you're teaching us. They need to see us worship. And then, God, give us the courage to do it. God, don't let us leave it up to chance. God, give us a sense of urgency that we can pursue this with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and that the people closest to us would see what we see and hear what we hear and want to experience what we've experienced. That's our ultimate goal. Father, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon.